All right, uh, about a year and a half ago, I wanted to just kind of clear the decks. It was coming up on New Year's, I think it was, and I said, I got all these ideas, and I got all these ideas, you know, half ba- mostly half-baked, right? Very few things in this podcast are fully baked. Uh, you stick a knife in it, they come out messy. That's a baking joke. Anyway, um, I just, you know, I, I, what my process is usually if I have an idea, if I'm listening to a podcast, if I'm emailing somebody, if I'm reading something and something just goes you know, pops into my head like, oh, that's interesting. That could make an interesting podcast. I usually just email myself and I, the subject line is pod because you needed to know that level of detail. I've got a little rule inside my Gmail that says if the, if it comes from me and it says pod, just funnel it off to a little folder someplace where I can check it later. And so I often go through and look at those folders and go, what was I thinking? How how is that a thing? But what I want to do, in, like I did last year, is just kind of clear the decks. It's We're coming up on an interesting uh, time with the podcast. We're about to crack. In fact, this is the last episode of year three uh, as we make some big changes in the podcast, and I will talk about that a bit. But um, I definitely want to clear some stuff out, including uh, a request from Jason Crowell about attribution. He had some questions about the previous episode I talked about it, which was like two years ago. So we're going to talk a bit about that, but about like eight or nine other things that Half-baked, fully-baked, you be the, uh, the judge. Um, yeah, so we're going to talk about that. So we'll see you back on the other side of the music. Welcome to the Talent Cast, the world's most caffeinated employer brand and recruiting podcast. I'm your host, James Ellis. Thanks so much for listening. If this is your first time for joining in, we do things a little differently. We try and do deep dives. There's not a lot of interviews here. There's not a lot of news here. This is about how do we get smarter and better? And that means how do I get you smarter and better? How do I get you to think about these problems at a deeper level so that you can solve them and look like a genius to your boss? If this isn't the first time you've been here, thanks so much for returning. Feel free to share with your friends, your coworkers, your boss. I don't know. Uh, We really do appreciate that. All right, let's get into it. All right. uh, Yeah, James Ellis here. So, uh, housekeeping on Tuesday, which if you're listening to this podcast when I drop, it will be mañana. That is Spanish for tomorrow. That is almost all the Spanish I know. Uh, I'm going to be in New York City, so come and see me. Come say hello. Come do the thing. I will have stickers. Um, And then in November, I'll be at... Nashville? Nashville, RecruitCon. So if you're going to be at that, say hello again with the stickers. Uh, other housekeeping things of note? No, not too, not too much. Um, let me talk about the podcast. The podcast making some changes uh, as we enter the last episode of the year three. Um, officially, our anniversary birthday is October 24th. I don't know what possessed me to start this process, but I did three whole years ago, and it's kind of been chugging along with my two two breaks. One early on is I had to literally kind of scrape together the gumption of just saying, you know what, just keep doing it. No, who cares if no one's listening to this thing? Um, and then people started listening, and that was kind of cool. And then last summer, not the summer of this year, but summer of 2018, I took a, a break for the summer. I took a two-month break, which I realized was, you know, I, I wanted to do it to keep this stuff fresh. And in hindsight, I realized there was absolutely no need. So <laughs> I, I got no fresher or no staler. So did don't didn't do that this summer. So uh, what we are doing in the podcast is I am joining some other podcast people. Uh, notably, Chad and Cheese and a couple other people. I will let them reveal more details. Um, but I'm joining them in, in a network of podcasts, so we will be promoting each other and promoting some other stuff. 
Uh, this does go against a long-held tradition here at the Talent Cast of not doing any sponsorships whatsoever, not taking a dime, not taking a dollar, not taking... Uh, well, no one's really offered a dump truck full of cash, and frankly, if they had, I probably would have taken that. But I've, you know, the thing is, is that when you've got zero listeners, and every once in a while someone's like, "Hey, what would it take to sponsor?" and you're like, "You know what? That sounds like a pain in the rumpus. I'm not gonna do that." So I established a position that says, "Well, I'm not gonna take anybody's money because blah 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 blah." Here we are, three years in. Um, you're you you're you're listening, so that's great. So we're gonna make some changes, and that includes some sponsorship at the network level. That means I will probably be doing some ads. I will literally be saying things about companies. Uh, so just so you know, I just am not changing anything I'm doing from the editorial content of this podcast. I will say whatever I want to say about whomever I want to say it. I still have a day job over at Universum, so come talk to me about that if that's a thing you want to talk to me about. Uh, but I just wanted to, I'm literally doing this to extend the network. I'm doing this to extend the impact this podcast has for the 1,500 or so people, regular listeners, thank you so much for listening and sharing. We've kind of plateaued for about the last year. We've had some good months and bad months or whatever, uh, but generally we kind of sit there at about 1,500 you know, listeners, and that's great, and I think there's more. I think two years ago, three years ago, there weren't nearly as many people who called themselves employer branders as they do today. I think right in the last two years, it's been insane and the number of people who say, oh yeah, I guess I do that too. I guess I, you call me an employer brander. So we, we think there's an audience. I say we, it's me. I think there's bigger audience for this and I think the fastest way to do this is to work with Chad and Cheese and a couple of other podcasts. Like I said, they'll name who, uh, but good people all around. Um, just because Chad and Cheese have been always good to me and I love, I think they're great guys. They're, you know, I, I love the work they do. I love the kind of stuff they're putting out there. I love to make fun of them. They love to make fun of me. It's fine. It's great. So that's what's going on. So expect some details in the next week or two. I think we make the official switch in a week and a half or something. So it will change this podcast only in that there will be an occasional commercial. And there you go. But that's it. We're going to keep plugging along and keep moving along. So let's go through the junk drawer. We're going to start with Jason. Thanks, Jason, for coming up and saying, hey, uh, I did not understand. I've listened to that podcast. I think he said he listened to the podcast twice. I'm sorry. Uh, he still doesn't quite get it. So we're going to talk about ad attribution. Really, it's the concept of attribution because um, when you're spending money on getting butts and seats, which separate conversation. Uh, but when you're spending money to put your message out there and you want to see where is it doing the most good, you want to say, okay, if I spend my money on 10 different sites, 10 different sources, you know, you've got your, I don't know, you got your The Muse, you've got your built-in, you've got your, uh, you got LinkedIn, you've got Indeed, you've got all sorts of other job boards, you've got uh, content sites, you've got tools, you've got ZipRecruiter, you've got all these other places you could potentially put money and I'm not going to I don't care where you put your money. That's not up to me. But you might wonder, or your boss might wonder, hey, of those places you spent money, where was the most effective? What they're really asking you, of course, is which was at least effective so they can pull that budget from you. Or you can be proactive and say, that didn't work. Pull the money and move it someplace else where it might do some good. The trick is, of course, the days of people going, see a job, apply for a job for anything outside of entry level is thin and getting smaller and getting tighter and yeah it's it's not really working and, and frankly it's it's that kind of shift that fact that people are doing a lot of things before they actually apply for a job assuming they even apply at all right a lot of times you're just 
reaching out to a recruiter or you're reaching out to people on LinkedIn and say, hey, this job sounds, it's a very informal process that it's all relationship driven or it's, you know, we're trying to move it in more relationship driven model. And a relationship driven model is no, in no way linear. In fact, it's like just a mess of spaghetti. Uh, it's all over the map. You twists and turns and winding around and ups and downs and all that good stuff. And it's very, 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 very hard to track. Most importantly, it's very hard to say where one channel is making an impact and one channel is not making an impact. And it's the model of a called attribution. How do you attribute the channel to which the person applied? Now, if you're selling uh, widgets, and you say, I'm going to put some ads out, and I'm going to put some Amazon products out, and I'm going to put some, do some affiliate ads, and maybe I'm going to do a podcast commercial, and maybe I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that, and do this. You put tracking codes, and you say, hey, if you need a mattress lightener, I don't know. Uh, I make this up. You know it. You've met me. We, 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 we're friends here. We're simpatico. You know this is all bullshit anyway. Uh, if you need a mattress lightener, you should go to blah, 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 www.mattresslightener.com. EDU, I don't know, right? Um, and you track it. You say, hey, did they come from the podcast? Did they come from Amazon? Did they come from the ad? Did they come from the affiliate model? Did they come from any of these other ad channels? And you say, okay, the one channel that's putting the most people in my site is the best channel. Why? Because these people weren't thinking about you before they heard that ad. They heard the ad and they went, cool, I want that. And they click a button and they make that happen. It's very easy to attribute to whom the credit goes. Does it go to Amazon? Does it go to the ad? Does it go to that ad? Does it go to that channel, that affiliate, what have you? The thing is, if you say, would you like to buy a house? And I think house buying is the best model by which you equivalent, you know, is the most analog to the recruiting process. No, you, please, please point out to me the ad that says, would you like to buy a house? Click here to buy a house. It doesn't work that way, obviously. That would be insane. And you've got all these systems and all these tools, and you've got all these people trying to get you into a house and all the different ways they can get you in the house. And you've got websites and realtors and lots more realtors and other realtors and people who realtor on the side and you know all these people. How do you say where someone made the decision? It's impossible, really. It's ultimately very, very hard, if not completely impossible to say. Because they saw that commercial, they decided to look for a new house. And because they decided to look for a new house, they chose you as their realtor or realtor tool, what have you. Um, that's impossible to do. Frankly, what might might have driven them to think about selling and buying a house was an HGTV show in which someone said, oh yeah, it's a load-bearing wall. It just costs $500 to knock out. By the way, those are lie numbers. No one is, and the, no way is that $500 to move a load-bearing wall. I don't know what, what, just match matchbooks you're living in. That's that's crazy. Anyway, we can talk about HGTV later. Um, so if you're trying to figure out where to attribute, it's almost impossible. And there are a couple of different models back back based in that kind of widget model, right? That mattress lightener model that says, okay, if I know I have to go see the ad and do some research and then see the ad again and buy the thing, you've got four steps, right? You've got the first touch. You've got a validation middle touch, and no one says how long that is. It could be one touch, could be 20 touches, we don't know. And then there's the last touch, meaning the thing that put them over the edge. And then there's the site. Where do you attribute the value? And it's a philosophical conversation. Do you say the value goes to the ad or ad unit or whatever you wanna call it that made people say, huh, I should go do a thing. I should go look for a job. I should go buy a house. Or 
do you attribute it to the thing that made them finally say, you know what, I've done enough research, it's time to pull the trigger, I'm going to go do the thing. That's last touch. It's the thing that puts them over the end zone. If you're a football fan, and I, by football I of course mean American football, um, because we don't use our feet very much in that game, what have you, let's have a soccer conversation later, people. Come on, S- stick with me. Um, do you attribute to the first model the thing that sparked the idea, the last touch the thing that got them over the end, or something in between, right? How do you judge what is the most important attribute? Now, if you're looking for a job, you might say, oh, I saw a job on a job board. That seems interesting. What is that company? I've never heard of it. And you do the validation dance. And we all know the channels you do it. You do a Glassdoor, you do a Google, you do a LinkedIn. You go and search for stuff. You might look for people you know. You might you might be one of those crazy people who goes on Google image search and says, what's it like to work at? Insert, you know, brand here, just to see what kind of pictures show up. What's the office feel like? What's it look like? Going to Facebook, going to Twitter, going to Instagram and maybe even Snapchat, I guess. I don't know, maybe that's a thing. Um, you do the validation dance. And there's one step, 10 steps, 100 steps. And then you say, yep, this sounds like a great company for me. I'm gonna go. Now, assuming you put ads at the very top and the very bottom of that funnel, right? Hey, you should go look at this company. You promoted that job posting on the job board, i.e. that's money you spend to get the first touch versus whatever the last thing they touched was before they applied for the job. And that's a complicated conversation because where was that? Was it the same job board? Or did they see it while they're, you know, I mean, Glassdoor has jobs, right? Built-in has jobs. If they're doing research in these channel, in these content channels, and they also happen to see the job, and they click that job and they apply, is it because they went, oh, finally, a place to apply? No, they went, okay, I'm ready. Oh, here's the most clear, uh, the, the fastest way, most opportune way in which I click a link. Now, who do you give the value of that to? That's a separate, uh, that's one conversation. The other conversation is a lot of data that says that a lot of our understandings of brand loyalty, for lack of a better phrase in this case, is flawed. And that if you look at the numbers around soda or laundry detergent or deodorant, that the common understanding is that everybody, is, or there are two types of people. There are loyalists and there are flip-floppers. And loyalists say, I have to have Coke, not Pepsi, and or vice versa. They have to have this brand of soap and not that other brand of soap, or what have you. And flip-floppers are like, eh, whatever's cheapest, whatever's on hand. Um, and that the, those two audiences are kind of different, right? They're somehow different. They just don't, the flip-floppers either don't see the value or they're motivated by different things, what have you. And how do I put this? How do I want to put this? So those two audiences are very different and and, and branding people, especially in consumer branding, they always are told the rule of thumb is try to make more loyalists because once they're loyal, you don't have to really do much in terms of motivating them to to continue to buy um, and they just keep buying. The trick is, is that when you look at the actual data uh, and this is based on a book called How Brands Grow, which is really interesting and very against the grain, frankly. I think it's a very different kind of book. They talk about how, frankly, there's no such thing as a loyalist, that every person who loves Coke, when they walk into a restaurant, they say, do you have Coke? And the waiter or waitress says, well, we only have Pepsi. Is that okay? Very few people says, what the hell? And, you know, and literally go into their bag and pull out their own bottle of Coke, right? Very few people actually have that much of a problem that they are that loyal. And frankly, when you look at the actual purchasing data, people tend to buy whatever's handy, whatever's most available, whatever, 
you know, is easy to grab, whatever's cheaper. If they're at a gas station, what do they have the most of? What do they have that particular flavor in? People tend to be very, very fluid in their choices. And frankly, the way you grow a brand is not to create brand loyalists, but to be more ubiquitous in your brand, meaning make it so easy that all I have to do is trip over it and they buy it. That's how you grow a brand. Now, what does that matter? We'll go back to that model of how you find that job and how you attribute that last touch. Is the last touch important? Well, it's the thing that got them to do a thing. But the question is, was the last last touch important there? Could they have found that last touch a million other places? Yes. Could they have gone back to the first touch and done it again? Yes. Could they have Googled that job or gone to the recruiter directly? Yes, yes, yes. So many different ways. The question might then become, if it's true that people aren't loyal, loyal to these processes, maybe the goal is to be ubiquitous, in which case it's not about focusing, it's about spreading your brand wide. I think it's an interesting question. I don't have an answer for you, but I will point a link in the show notes, and let me hear, I'm literally writing it down how brands grow, and I will figure out who wrote that thing. Uh, yeah, so that's interesting. So, I, you know, when I was back at the other agency whose name we do not speak, um, Someone came up with a model of attribution that says, okay, we're going to give 40% of the attribution to the first touch because it sparked an idea and 40% of the, of the attribution to the last touch because it got them over the fence. And the last 20%, we're going to just spread across as many touch points in the middle as, as, as existed, right? And that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. It's doing the job of saying, I'm giving some weight to the first touch, meaning if I hadn't gotten that first touch, the rest of it may not have happened, though it may have. I'm giving some value to the thing that finally pushed them over the edge, but frankly, anything might have pushed them over the edge. And there's, there's may not be value in that thing. It simply might have just been the thing that was right there. And some value to all the things that happened in the middle, which are valid, right? For a long time, four or five years ago, we didn't give a lot of credence to things like, well, nobody really goes, you know, I'm not getting a lot of people applying from Glassdoor. I said, well, yeah, you're not because Glassdoor isn't seen as a job board. It's seen as a validation step. That they all do, right? Everybody Googles and LinkedIn's and Glassdoor's these things. So if you don't kind of pay, pay some value towards those those uh, validation steps, you're kind of screwed. So that's really what attribution is all about. Now, one more wrinkle. Uh, <laughs> there's a really interesting article. And Andrew Gadowski uh, uh, talked about how he measures employer brand. Now, Andrew's a, a data nerd in a way that I am not a data nerd, but he had a very interesting argument, which I thought was quibble-tastic. However, the core of it, very useful. And that idea was this. There are only three ways people apply for a job. Recruiter goes and outsources. Sourcing, outreach, that sort of thing. You go and get them, hunting. And then you've got people who apply because they're looking for a job. They saw the job board, they hit the apply button, they applied, right? That is the transactional. And then there's this, the people who are influenced by employer brand. They learned about the brand, they're interested about the brand, they read about the company, they read about stuff, maybe they talked to people, maybe they didn't talk to people, whatever that is. But they eventually got in the front door, they just didn't come through one of those other channels. And if you know the total pool of, of hires, which you do, frankly, if you don't, you've got massive HR problems, um, who are you paying? Um, but if you know that total pool and you can assign, these are the people I reached out to and they applied, that's easy to figure out. And these are the people who saw, you know, saw the job board, clicked the button and applied, and we hired them, that's easy to figure out. Everybody who's left is the total pool of people who are directly impacted by your employer brand spend. So you take the total number of hires in that space and divide it by the number of employer brand dollars you spent. You can say, this is what the cost to hire was. Now, 
I can quibble with that all day long, but I thought it was great because what you're effectively doing is attributing via subtraction, which when I thought of it and when I read it kind of made me go, oh, that was really smart. Oh, I love it when smart people talk. Oh, that's so good. So thank you, Andrew, for that. Again, we will quibble about that later. But that's the idea. When you think about attribution, think about not so much who made the last touch or the first touch or which is the most important. It's about segmentation. Get rid of the audiences that you were going to get anyway. Get rid of the people who went to the job board, clicked apply, and boom, that was it. You don't need to worry about them. Don't worry about the people your recruiters are are reaching out to. Yes, they're going to go touch Glassdoor to, be, to validate. Yes, they're going to go to LinkedIn. Yes, they're going to go to review sites. Yes, they're going to go see if they know people and they're going to get validation. But you know what? That process is different than the one you're owning, right? And frankly, if you do the one that you own, that validation gets better anyway. It's just a knock-on effect. So it was a very interesting way to say instead of focusing on who is the who do you put the value on in first in terms of touch or no touch, it's about removing those which kind of mud, muddy the waters and focus on the people you can get direct contact with. You can say, those are people we did not do outreach on, and those are people who weren't job board uh, button pushers. Those are IE, therefore, employer brand type people. Cool, huh? I thought so. Uh, I'll put a link to uh, uh, Andrew's uh, uh, article. It is a little dense. However, great stuff. Anyway, so that's the first one. I promise the rest of them will go fast. And I don't have them in any particular order. Uh, the first is employer brand. And you can see I actually took notes. That's so rare for me. Employer brand is platform. I think I've sort of touched on this before, but I wanted to knock this one this nail deep into the wood as hard as I could. That is this idea that your employer brand is not a channel, it's not a campaign, it is a platform. And what you do with that platform is all the things you put on top of the platform. The value of employer brand happens when you put stuff on top of it. So last week I was doing an event with Hired. Hey guys, how you doing? So much. if you were in Chicago and you saw that, have fun, did we? I thought it was a lot of fun. There's a maturity model draft I played with. We, You might see that in the near future. Thanks, Universum, for helping me put that together. Anyway. Boom, 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 boom. One of the metaphors, right, one of, uh, one of the metaphors is that your brand is a big circus tent, but your EVP is the tent pole that props it up. It's without that tent pole, the, the, the rest of the tent kind of flops, right? It's just laying on the ground. And it's this idea the employer brand itself is almost a platform. Yes, you've got an EVP that's the tent pole. It's like, this is the thing we stand for. This is what we are offering candidates. And then the brand is the stuff that surrounds that tent pole that gets creates volume, right? It's the space you sit under to see the, 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 the high wire act, right? And that brand is be actually in itself a platform. Um, you, what you put into it, right? It, what is happening? So to extend the circus metaphor a little bit, if you put elephants and goats in it, it's an animal act. If you put uh, a high wire or you put clowns or, you know, you put, uh, I don't know, what what else do circuses do? I'm a Cirque du Soleil person, I guess. It's been a long time since I've seen a quote-unquote standard circus. So, But if you put acrobats in it, it's a Cirque du Soleil kind of tent. So the platform, the brand itself is just a platform for the stuff you want to say. Having a strong employer brand is not inherently good, but it allows you to do things like tell better stories and make sure that story is validated. And we go back to that concept that if I just walked up you and say, I'm an amazing basketball player and I can dunk a basketball. Well, prima facie, you just look at me and you go, mm, I don't believe that. You're a chunky middle old, middle-aged dude and you're six foot one on when you're stretching and there's no way you're dunking a basketball. And you'd be right. But if I tell you that I can dunk a basketball without any validating, without any contextual clues that I'm an amazing jumper, you won't believe me. In the same way that if you reach out to a candidate and say, we care about innovation, 
but without the platform to support it, you're just saying blah, blah, blah. So the brand itself is a platform and you should think about it as such. Next point, I'm gonna scratch these out as I go and you can probably hear it. This one's fun. Uh, for whatever reason, the word behavior change keeps cropping up and there's, it, there's an interesting two pieces to this. Um, as an employer brander, your job is to create behavior change in your candidate. We all know that, right? You're, you're there to make them change their behavior, i.e. want to learn more about the company with the express purpose of eventually applying for a job. That is the behavior you want to enact. And the way you create that behavior is through an emotional change. Emotional change becomes behavioral change. If you can make them feel something, you can make them do something. That pretty obvious stuff. But what isn't obvious, I think, to me anyway, maybe you all been talking about it behind my back and didn't tell me what's up with that. But the idea is that at the same time you're trying to make candidates change a behavior, you're also, if you're doing your job right, trying to make employees change their behavior. You want them to be advocates. You want them to use the hashtag. You want them to share the social posts. You want them to tell their stories. You want them to cheer on the company in the face of whatever life throws at it, right? You want them to be a part of the brand. You want to create behavior change. And what, what do we do? We HR the hell out of it. We mandate it. We tell everybody, hey, everybody, please use the hashtag. Here's a poster. Hey, everybody, we've got a, an event coming up. Please invite your friends. Hey, everybody, we've got a referral program and you should make sure that in the next six months when you think about it and you make a friend, you should tell them about us. And I should. Oh, okay. That, what the hell was that? There's no emotion in that. The way we communicate to most of our, our staff is pretty emotionless. And so let us remember, thus all of us together, remember that if we're trying to, and we are trying to create behavior change in the employees, it needs to start with an emotional change. You need to spark their spirit in some fashion to create that behavior change. And I think we forget about that. Next. Okay. Weird one. Uh, I listened to a podcast and they talked about, um, Crispin Porter was an ad agency, super, 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 super famous in the 90s and early 2000s. They did some very, very impressive creative work. And they were talking to a creative director over there, blah, 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 blah. But it's hard to talk about how to be creative, right? You don't really know how to say that. It's a lot like, how do you dance? And they show you a series of pictures and you're like, um, that's not dancing. Those are still, those people are mo not moving. That's a digression. What? Here? Yes. But one thing that struck me was that one of the reasons they were able to do some really cool work with Burger King, and this is consumer work, and this was in around 2000, 2002, and maybe perhaps some of you remember, uh, um, some of the crazy, like the, the Whopper, um, where you were, you know, the, oh gosh, the Whopper frenzy where the Burger King didn't have Whoppers, and they shot, and they took pictures or videos of customers ordering Whoppers and being told, we don't do Whoppers anymore, and people being shocked. They did... Um, you know, if you unfriend five people on Facebook, we'll give you a Whopper campaign. There was the one, the subservient chicken. Some of you remember that. Some of you are smiling. It was really interesting work. It was very creative work. And they said, look, what's interesting is that creativity doesn't happen because the most creative person speaks up and says, and makes a, a, a compelling plea for creativity. Everybody in the room in this process wants creativity. The problem is, the creativity is limited by the structure of the relationship. So if you've got an agency you're working with, and many of you do, whether it's an agency or a tool company or what have you, or an outside vendor, whatever you want to call it, and frankly, I'm in that boat, so hey, how you doing? 
Um, if you keep them at arm's length, you cannot get the most out of that tool. If you open up and say, look, I want us to be partners, I want us to find work together, I want us to help each other, where it's a two-sided win-win kind of situation, we want both challenges to work, we want to integrate better, that is where creativity happens. That because Crispin Porter had literally embedded teams inside the Burger King office, they felt like Burger King employees, they looked like Burger King employees, to Burger King they looked and felt like partners, not of that bullshitty kind of, hey, I'm your partner to help you, no, no, but like like literally felt the pain was there when things were good and things were bad because of that partnership and true partnership relationship they were able to come up and craft crazy ideas that in turn what got internal buy-in the crazy ideas aren't the problem everybody comes up with crazy goofy creative ideas the problem is we have these creative ideas and then they get squashed or minimized as they go up the pipe because leadership doesn't get it or there's not the right relationships to make that happen Corollary. Everybody remember that uh, ad after the Super Bowl went dark and, and literally 45 minutes later, Oreo put, tweeted, um, you know, it's fun to, to, to eat Oreos in the dark or whatever it was. I can't remember the actual word. And everybody was blown away how fast they did it. Well, it wasn't because you and I tweet and, and the you know current administration tweets lightning fast and the idea that uh, a brand could respond in 45 minutes was amazing because it actually wasn't 45 minutes, it was 18 minutes if I remember correctly because on average, the amount of time between idea and execution of a social media channel uh, a post was 45 days because you had agencies and you had review partners and you had all this stuff that made it so hard to get anything, anything interesting done. And what Oreo had done was embedded a creative team in with them during the Super Bowl because they said, look, we're going to try and get this as close to real time as possible. Put all the decision makers in the room so that when something happens and we have an idea, everybody's there, can vet it, can decide, can make the call, and we can put it out there in the space of minutes, which was ludicrous. Again, the structure of the operation, the structure of the relationship dictates the outcome, which might lead to my next point, and that is, why is our employer branding so boring? Why? Yes, yes, employer blanding, sure. But it, it, I, let me rephrase the question differently. Why are we striving for more? Why are we pushing the boundaries? Why aren't we? Why are we telling the same old stories to the same old people about the same old folks in the same old ways? The number of companies who use the same two or three words to describe their companies is outlandish. In the same industry, in the same space, trying to attract the same people, they use the same words. A consumer marketing person would have a heart attack and then die of a stroke if they saw this sort of thing happen. For whatever reason, and again, maybe it's partly because the relationships we have with our agencies and our creative teams, because we're always at odds, we're not able to make the creative genius, the creative spark take flight. And so I have an open question. I don't have an answer for you, but it, it just feels like I very rarely see good, strong creative. Occasionally you see a company kind of go crazy. Um, what's the one commercial where the CEO was wearing the weirdest outfit because they had a no dress code policy it included? Um, they cut the, the, the front out of his shirt so you could see his man nipples. Yes, and then he just said man nipples on a, on a podcast. So you know, if, they're, if, if my 10-year-old fan is listening, I'm apologizing, I guess. Um, you know, it was an outlandish video. And you're like, cool, it's outlandish video. They're trying. But it was just creative for the sake of creativity. I mean interesting, compelling, valuable. You see it so infrequently. How do I know? Because when someone makes an interesting, compelling video, it goes around our industry in about 20 seconds. And it happens about once every three months. That's a pretty bad rate. That's a pretty bad ratio. I'm just putting that out there. So I guess the question is, why do we settle for mediocre? I don't want to do that. Um, next point. <clears throat> All right. 
there's a problem, and I think I've touched on this, but I want to spell this out a bit more fully. This idea that we, why, why is our employer brand great? Why should you work for us? Because we have a great culture. If at any point you hear anybody say that, stop what you're doing and shake their head. Just shake it vigorously. Just maybe something came loose. Maybe maybe something got disconnected, right? You got maybe take the, the cable out and blow on it and plug it back in. Maybe reboot it. There's something wrong with that person. They just, they're probably smart. They just, something got wiggle out. So maybe help wiggle it back in. This idea that great culture is the base of an employer brand is impossible. Why? Well, there's a lot of reasons because an employer brand, a culture is dictated by the people in the room. So if I've got a culture of three people who are nice and kind and wonderful people, and I talk about how amazing my culture is and how supportive it is, and then I hire a shark, how supportive is that culture still? The culture is the average of what everybody's, you know, the personality and interactions are. And you can't say what it's going to be. You can't define it. You can't structure it. It is an outcome of the sparks that happen from personalities. So whoever you bring in impacts the culture. You can't say, hey, we have, it, it, it's, it's like saying, what's the, um, Heisenberg uncertainty process, this idea that as you uh, measure a thing, you're impacting a thing. For example, if you put a cold thermometer in hot water, you are lowering the temperature. So what exactly is the temperature of the water? You can't know the temperature of the water before you put the cold thermometer in because you can't put the thermometer in because the second you do, you change the temperature of the water. That was a lot. Wow. Um, it's complicated. You just can't support and say it's about a great culture. You can't describe a great culture. In fact, I almost never see it described as simply saying, it's great. In what way? Well, it's great. I don't understand what that means. And frankly, let's go on to my my uh, my favorite phrase at the end of it's a great culture is to say, to whom? Is this a great culture for people who are driven and ambitious? Is it a great culture for people who like stability? Is this a great culture for people who are uh, trying to develop themselves? Is this a great culture for people who want opportunity? Who is this a great culture for? And that is really how you explain express an employer brand. If you start by saying it's a great culture, you're saying the water is wet, but you're not giving any more information. You're not really saying, yeah, but where do I use the water? What does it taste like? How? What, what's the deal with the water? All this other stuff. I don't understand what's going on. It, it, it doesn't make any sense. You can't just say it's a great culture. You have to use that basis of what you think the culture is and how you're describing the culture is and then formalize it based on the motivators, right? What do people actually care about? Just saying it's a great culture doesn't do it. I, you just it, don't do it. Um, one or two left here. And this is just a, a thing that occurred to me that made me realize this actually describes why so many companies have so many problems with their employer brand. And maybe this sounds familiar and we're going long, but that's okay. It's the junk drawer episode. Um, I'm going to try and phrase this well, and I'm going to do a bad job. Most people think that the problem is solved, that if the problem is solved for them, the problem is solved for everyone. I'm going to do that one more time just to make sure I nail this one. Most people think that if the problem is solved for themselves, it's probably solved for everybody. And I see this, let's call it a fallacy. Let, I think that's the best way to term it. It's a fallacy. I see this all the time. For example, in politics, and I'm going to go there, sorry, you know, you see people who complain about pronoun conversations. And it's like, hey, um, there are only two genders, and I mean they're going to call you a he or a she, and that's the way it is. That's just the way the English language is structured. That's the way science is structured, blah, 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 blah. That's the way it is. And obviously what's happening is, this person is a he, almost always, but sometimes a she, and the problem is solved for them. They have no question over their gender. They have no issue with their gender. They don't, they've never struggled with their gender, right? So therefore, the problem is solved for them. Therefore, the problem is solved for everyone. 
Does that sound familiar? Hey, I don't have an employer brand problem. You hired me just fine. Huh, that's interesting. The problem is solved for you, so therefore the problem is solved for everyone. That's an issue. So I just keep that in the back of my mind. When I, you know, when we, when you face these challenges of people stepping up and saying, "Hey, we don't have this problem because the problem is solved," you need to be able to say, "Look, the problem is solved for you, but the problem is not actually solved." Right? You can say, the, "Here's another good one. The economy is working great." Sure, if you're among the limited set of people, but for most people, the economy is not doing great, great here in America. Um, the problem may be solved for you, but it is not, in fact, actually solved for everyone. It's just a it's a fallacy of how you perceive the problem, how you see, see things. Um, all right, last one. This is this is this is funny. Um, I posted a version, an idea of this on Twitter, and people tried to answer the question. It's like, nope, I don't think it's a question worth answering. I think it's just a question to think about. It is rhetorical or hypothetical or maybe philosophical. If you want to get me in some saffron robes. Oh, anyway, <clears throat> coffee was delicious today. So so glad you could join me. Um, this idea that. Would you rather join a company or would you rather belong to a company? Should I apply to a company or should I want to belong to a company? And there's this weird word called belong that we don't use very often because it's dicey, because it is hard, because it is difficult to say someone belongs. But ultimately, a good employer brand, in, in, in the same way that what we want people to do is see how they can be personally and professionally satisfied at this job, but you can't actually say, you will be personally and professionally satisfied at this job because if you do say that, you sound like an idiot. Don't do that. Again, please, you're my friend. Don't do that. The same way, if you try and say, this is how you'll belong in our company, it's, it presumes way too much knowledge about the subject you're speaking to, the person you're talking to. And that says you understand what would make them feel like they belong or what they want to belong to. However, however, you should still strive, and I feel like I've used the word strive here a couple times today, interesting. Um, you should be striving to help people see how they could, in fact, belong. And I think that sets the bar a bit higher. But in this day and age where everybody's got some employer brand thinking happening, percolating in their company, and I think at this point just about everybody does, which is great, fantastic, we're helping move the needle, that's great. Um, but it's time to, to step up. The idea of, okay, I have a reason people should work here and I've got it broken down to some pillars. Uh, maybe I've got some data behind it to prove that it's true. I've got some good talking points. That's great. That's a good starting point. Here's how you elevate. Show people how they could belong. Not how they will belong, but how they could belong. Let them find their way into it. We talked about skin in the game a couple weeks ago. Let them invest the time in putting into understanding who you are and how and projecting how they're going to be satisfied and maybe even belong to this company. You can't lead them that particular horse to water. Um, but you can make it easy for them to find the path and for them to understand that they're walking a path to learn something about themselves and learn something about this company. And that's positive and that's useful and it's worthwhile on both of your parts. You can make it easier for them to find that stuff. You can send them stuff. You can send them content. You can send them ideas. You can send them talking points to help them see how they could belong there, but you got to let them find it. However, if you don't use the word belong, you're not striving. You're not trying for something better. You're not trying to expand the boundaries of what employer brand can do at your company. So, ooh, 37 minutes of me talking. Not a record, but not 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 an easy one, not a short one. So thanks, everybody, for hanging in. Uh, if you have questions about the whole changing of the network and the podcast sponsorship stuff, 
ping me. Um, yeah, I don't sell ads. I'm not going to bother with that process. If you have concerns, let, bring them up. Let's talk about them. Um, if you have ideas of what I should talk about, I would love to know what you have to talk about. It's, you know, now that, it, now that I've cleared the junk drawer, it means next week it's a little kind of like, oh, blank sheet of paper. What am I going to talk about? So don't worry. That's a good challenge for me. I love that. Um, thank you so much for listening. For those of you who have been hanging out with me for coming on three years and people like Jason, that I know, I know that's you. Um, thank you. At Audra and all the people who promoted the, the, the podcast, uh, all the people who, who've asked questions, all the people who, the Ben and Benji and all the people who've been super helpful in just helping me, push me and, and, and trying to support my mission of helping companies get better at employer branding and changing the way they hire through employer branding. Thank you all so much. That was, it's been three years. Let's, uh, let's figure out what year four and five looks like, right? Uh, if you have ideas of where this should go and what this should be, I am always all ears. You can find me about a million different ways, but mostly on Twitter at the war for talent or LinkedIn. You can find me also linkedin.com slash in slash the war for talent. That's recent anyway, whatever. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks so much for reviewing. I'll talk to you all next week. Bye. Well, the music means you've made it to the end of another episode of the Talent Cast. If this was useful to you, do not keep it a secret. Share it with your team. Share it with your boss. Share it with your networks. I don't know. Share it with your mom. Uh, if you have questions you'd like me to answer on a future show, or just you know general ideas about how to make this thing better, just ping me on Twitter. You know, I'm at the War for Talent. At the War for Talent. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next week. Bye.